curiosity and persistence combined can lead to some really magical things. Mm -hmm. And an example of that is when you're, you know, looking to network or you're looking for some uh, interviews or looking to meet new people or, or get ahead with, with something, you will find that if you're curious and if you're persistent, you can ask people questions and continue on a certain path. But sometimes people will tell you, well, Chris, you know, I'm not interested in that. And I don't think I can help you, but my friend is. And let me introduce right. you to my friend. Welcome to the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. My name is Chris Thompson, your host of the show and the head coach of the Student Works Management Program. This is a show dedicated to young and ambitious entrepreneurs and ultimately the leaders of tomorrow. Each week, we will bring you an inspiring interview or message to help you create the future you know you deserve. Let's get started. Hey, leaders. I am incredibly happy to be bringing one of the really, really stars of our program. He was a star when he was in it. I had the opportunity to work with him uh, as a district manager back in the late 80s uh, for a couple seasons. Zach went on, uh, Zach Kembar went on to a really, really incredible career. He, he went to uh, Tokyo and taking on a few different roles before he joined Goldman Sachs. He became a vice president of equity der derivatives. He became a managing director of a major French bank called BNP Paribas. And then he started a hedge fund with uh, another, another good friend and, and partner and decided to move on at that point. And, uh, and he's basically been you know, managing his own money, doing a bunch of really neat things back in Canada um, after a long time in the Far East. Really, really incredibly well-spoken, incredibly bright. And just an amazing podcast full of lessons for young leaders looking to be really, really successful. And um, he talks about the hard work that it takes. It talks about the, the relationship building, the decision making that is going to be necessary if you really, really want to have a, a huge career. And uh, something like uh, Zach's had, he, he mentions... Uh, uh, a whole bunch of some of our past alumni have been massively successful, uh, like Zach in finance, and I'm I'm hoping over the next number of uh, months and years to bring them onto the pod, like uh, like Zach's come on, which is wonderful. And again, I would love uh, to make a real serious request of you, um, whenever you're listening to this, to really think about who do you know that really wants to have a really really big life and really be a major major leader in the world. And uh, our program has shown over the decades that we have had a massive, massive impact on some massively successful people. That's what I do. That's my game. That's, that's what I'm going to continue to play. And I would love your help. And that's really what I need is I, I need young people who have shared value, shared interest, and they really want to do amazing stuff. So please send them our way. Uh, please, uh, they, you know, go to leaderspodcast.ca. Uh, they can go to studentworks.com and apply. You can write me an email and let me know. Chris at leaderspodcast.ca. You can share this, this podcast. So thank you very much. I know you're going to love the pod and uh, have a fantastic day. 
So, Zach, welcome to the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. Thanks very much, Chris, for having me. Pleasure. Yeah, well, it's really awesome. For our young leaders, Zach and I had the opportunity to work together. I was his district manager back in the day, and it was it was an awesome opportunity. Uh, just incredible, you know, growth and development, and uh, a really amazing time. You know, the 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 couple years you worked with us. You know, what do you remember back from those days? Well, it was a, it was a really special time because I had been at Western University, had a really interesting group of friends there. And I remember that uh, one of my friends, Dave Fear, had uh, talked to me about, you know, running a painting company in the summer. And I thought, you know, why would, why would I run a painting company in the summer? That doesn't sound very fun. You know, I remember I'd, I'd been painting fences when I was 14 or 15 as part of a summer job my dad created for me. I didn't like it very much. And then the year before, I'd been bartending. And I liked that. Um, you know, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of hard work. And I made some money. But I like Dave, and uh, he was a really driven guy. So I, For sure. I sort of thought, okay, well, let's let's have, let's let's have a look and see what this is all about. And uh, the more I sort of dug into it, the more interesting it got. And it was a very interesting and cool group of people that uh, were sort of my peer group that were were getting interested and involved. And it allowed me to kind of jump in with them and kind of maybe fight above my weight. You know, yeah. I was I was pretty. Uh, <laughs> I was pretty disorganized. I wasn't working very hard at school. I was kind of all over the place. And uh, it allowed me to sort of marshal my resources and efforts into, into something pretty, uh, pretty cool. Yeah. And certainly I recall, like, this was something you really, really committed to. Like I was saying in our earlier conversation, uh, you know, that I remember there was all sorts of post-it notes all over your car, you know, do this and do that and do this. Like you were, you were just dug in and driving your business. Yeah. You know, it allowed me to get really immersed in, uh, in running a business, but it also, uh, was a little bit daunting because I had a lot of things to kind of organize, you know, yeah. I, I had a tiny little car I had a whole bunch of equipment. I think at the peak, I had 20 plus people working for me, wow. all different kinds of personalities. Obviously, yeah. you and I were talking all the time. And yeah. I was either in my car or doing estimates. <laughs> and so I had all sorts of uh, you know things to remember and think about. And uh, I was pretty disorganized. And one of the things that I got out of that early uh, sort of inception into the program was becoming more organized whether it was uh, dealing with people or time or whatever, I found you were so busy, you just had to be organized. Because if you yes. weren't, it just blew up. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And it's those habits, I'm sure, that you still rely on. Because I know for me, I'm constantly writing things down. I'm constantly, okay, or now they, they go in my phone or my computer. But anyhow, they're, they're constantly, oh, you know, because otherwise, I just, there's no way I can keep it all in my head. Yeah, I'm the same way. I, I tend to use my calendar a lot and work off of my calendar. I kind of have a rolling to-do list, but yeah. uh, it creates some very good habits when you're when you're that busy and that engaged with something to to force you to marshal your resources into into getting organized. Yeah. So, what do you still rely on from the program and the things you learned back in the day, Zach? So, I think uh, when I think back to it, some of the things that really stuck with you and you rely on a lot. A couple of things. One was was the time management, obviously. People management and figuring out. It's kind of like bartending, you know? You right. got a customer down here who needs a drink immediately. And if you don't give it to him, he's going to start yelling and doing crazy stuff. 
And then right in front of you, you've got some easygoing people that are big tippers. You just have to keep them kind of, you know, entertained. Um, and so, you know, balancing the, the people management, balancing the time management, that was very important. The other thing that was, uh, came out of student, uh, work, student painter, student works now yeah. was the feeling of, of persisting and right. building that habit of, of being persistent. That has been probably the most important trait. I remember you uh, telling me, you know, way back when it looked very daunting where you were, you were doing estimates, you were meeting customers, you were knocking on doors yeah. and you were trying to get sales and you were trying to sign um, people up, both painters to work with you for the summer, which became t- tricky because it was very competitive. And then you also wanted to sign up customers. And yeah. so that persistence allowed you to have small wins. You know, yeah. you'd go through a period where nothing was happening and you'd get really frustrated and you say, God, this is tough. And then you kept going and then you got someone to sign, whether it was a painter or a customer. And you say, okay, that's really good. And, yeah. and, and you had these little small wins that really made you feel good. And it made you feel that all the hard work was, you know, was paying off. Was paying off. Yeah. And one of the great things about this role, and frankly, the role that, you, you know, or the roles that you went into is you win and you lose. And I love winning and losing because I really love winning. Um, <laughs> and, I, and when I find I compete, I tend to win a whole lot more. more. But I love just the, the, the chase and the, the, the competition. And, and certainly a big part of that is around sales. So, so what about sales? How, do, how have you seen sales being impactful early, impactful later in your career? So I guess um, a lot of people don't realize it when they, they kind of first start out, but it got driven home to me, you know, early on, but even more recently reading books um, about yeah. sales, there has to be an aspect of sales in, in everything that you do. You yeah. know, it doesn't matter if you're, a, you know, an analyst or a worker at the government or a teacher there's a element of sales in almost everything you do. Mm-hmm. You know, from a perspective of a teacher, you kind of have to sell your students on the efficacy of what they're teaching or why is this important Yeah, and try to get people excited about it. And yeah. so, you know, sales was incredibly important because the sales was um, combined with the, the sort of need to be persistent, the need to be creative, uh, they need to manage your time, but but the selling uh, habits and the selling skills that I developed with the student works were really important for me in the next couple of jobs I had. And in fact, for life, because you learn to react differently to no, react differently to questions, and it informed the way you would approach people with uh, sales and so on. So. I think sales was incredibly important and has been responsible for a lot of the successful endeavors that, you know, I've managed to to put together, but it also allows you to not get crushed by failure because you, you can think, you know what, I've been working really hard. It didn't work out. Let's pivot to something else that we think will work out. Yeah. No, well, we were talking about that before we jumped on the podcast. Something's not working out and and we're digging in and we just, and again, we have a past track record of winning and figuring it out, right? And so it's like, okay, right now we're in the conundrum about something. We'll figure it out. It's going to figure it out because we've had that experience, right? 
So why don't you walk me through, you know, you, you, you graduated from Western, you know, looking at, you know, what was Zach Kembar going to do, you know, career-wise, what were you thinking? What did you end up doing? So before student works, you know, I was, I was having a good time at Western. I was not doing a lot of schoolwork. And it was kind of a, a juxtaposition because I was really interested in the markets. I was really interested in business. But then when I started to dig in at university, I wasn't interested in the business courses. I really wasn't interested in sort of the, the theory and learning about the economics and everything else. It just was not exciting at all. But when I got into the student works uh, kind of classroom, if you will, and I started to run my own little business on the ground, a lot of things started to sign up and click. And so it allowed me to have a much better uh, platform to start looking for jobs once I um, had graduated from Western. And the ability to kind of, you know, accept rejection and keep moving was very important because when I graduated from Western, it was not, I think it was a long time ago. Uh, It was kind of the 1991 looking here on LinkedIn. 1991. And we were, I think if I recall, we were right in the middle of a pretty big recession in Canada. Yes. Big, big recession. I couldn't find, because I was a history and English major and Canada was very myopic in its uh, sort of recruiting of kids to finance. A lot of my friends were in business, they were in economics, they were in commerce, and they had no problem finding jobs. And I had a real problem finding a job in Canada. So I remember after Student Works, I had a summer job at a bank and I was really bored. I think I was an investment banking credit analyst. Mm. And at the end of the summer, I sort of looked up and said, you know what? I just can't do this. I'm bored out of my mind, looking at all these numbers all day. It's not for me. Right. I need to do something else. Right. And I was reading an article in the Globe and Mail about these guys that were working over in Japan and they were stockbrokers, they were foreign exchange traders. And I thought, you know what, that sounds pretty cool. And I knew someone at uh, Scotia who was a foreign exchange trader. And I called the reporter on the story and I said, listen, what were your impressions of, of uh, all the stuff that's going on in Tokyo and these Canadians that are working over there? Right. And he told me some wonderful things and, and said he was really excited about it. And I said, you know, I should really find out more. And so I called up a few people and decided that I was going to, you know, travel a little bit, maybe get a job over there, maybe learn some right. Japanese, make some money and come back to Canada. And I ended up staying for 10 years and it was one of the best experiences I ever had. Yeah. It was fantastic. And just to share, one of the things I want our leaders to, to hear is, so Zach reads an article in the paper, calls the reporter. Yeah. Who does that, right? That not many people do that, right? And then, oh, I know someone, so I called them, and then I called them, and then I called them, right? So it's action that that rules the day. So I just wanted to to acknowledge you, right? And and you just go, yeah, you're right. I guess I did that, right? You know, and it's funny. People are available. They talk to you. <laughs> it seems kind of crazy, but I think that one of the things I had found was I was running against a wall trying to get a job in the traditional way. Right. And I said, you know, this is not working. I got to try something else. I know I've got a skill set. I'm just not sure that my skill set is geared to this kind of, of thing. So I got to try right. something else. And, you know, I found that networking and meeting people and educating myself about what I needed to do to get to where I wanted was much better than just sort of saying, here's my resume. 
yeah. and, and kind of hoping someone was going to call you. Yes. <laughs> that yeah. doesn't work. <laughs> and it also impacted also what you actually ended up doing and how well you, you were at your job and how well you are, what your roles are now too, right? For sure. Because when I was at Western, I was excited by the concept of investment banking. But I really didn't know what investment banking was. For sure. And what investment banking is, is is a a whole bunch of different things. Yes. There's a lending business. There's a commodity business. There's an equities business. And in each part of those businesses, there's trading, there's sales, there's uh, research. And so there was this enormous, very complicated world that nobody at school or anywhere else had taught me about the different parts of it. And so it enabled me to get over to... Japan and meet people that were doing really interesting things in a way that I would never have been able to do in Toronto. Right. Yeah. So what did you do? What did you learn? Uh, you know, I know eventually you were VP of equities derivative at, uh, at Goldman Sachs, but how did you get there? Because frankly, by the way, there's a whole bunch of leaders listening, Zach, and you know it. They wanna, <laughs> how did Zach do that? So... Uh, <laughs> I'd like to say that, you know, I was so disorganized and so kind of lackadaisical as a student, but I think in hindsight, I just wasn't presented with the kind of right focus and and opportunity. And I found that when I was at school, if I was excited by something and interested in something, I actually did pretty well. But if I wasn't and I was bored, I just didn't do anything. (laughs) Right. I found when I when I got to Tokyo, I met some really interesting young guys that I really liked, and I met them for beers and coffees and said, "Hey, can I come into your office and you know just kind of see what you're doing on a day to day basis?" Right. And there was no agenda. I wasn't asking them for an interview. I was right. just saying I want to come in and spend some time and just sort of observe. Right. And I did that with a bunch of different industries. Met a bunch of different people. So I could kind of triangulate my thinking into what I really wanted to do. And once I kind of had that rough idea of what I wanted to do, then I had to figure out, okay, how am I going to get there? Because right. I didn't have great grades in undergrad. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't have a business degree. And I didn't have experience in the things that I was looking for. So I sort of asked around. And what came out of it was I would need to get a sort of junior level position doing something, anything, get in the door. Right. Right. And so I, I kind of kept networking. And at the same time, I did a homestay with a Japanese family so that I could really learn the language. And oh, I, okay. I, I did that for about a year. And that allowed me to speak Japanese a lot. Oh, wow. Allowed me to go to Japanese school. I had a part-time job writing and teaching. And then uh, with any spare time I had, I did information interviews and just kept networking and meeting people. And eventually I kind of got into this group with the Canadian club in Tokyo, which had a bunch of different Canadians that kind of got together once a month and, and uh, networked and talked and, you know, just hung out. And yeah. I met some really nice guys that were FX traders and brokers. And they said, well, you know, we might have some opportunities and we might have some friends. And then I started getting into some formal interviews. And then I landed kind of my first job at a Japanese trading organization, trading precious metals. I knew nothing about it. (laughs) And I was kind of the, I was kind of the junior underpaid boy on the desk. And then I was, you know, getting coffees, translating, 
taking orders, doing all the sort of little Joe jobs and slowly, you know, reading, learning, doing more and more. And that allowed me to meet more people in the market. It allowed me to learn more about the markets in general and what was going on, what was possible and what was out there. Right. Then I, I found that my skills as a bartender <laughs> from university <laughs> translated well into what was then called sales trading, which right. was um, effectively executing orders on behalf of clients, but also managing you know, several client orders at the same time, looking at their risk, thinking about um, how their orders were working in the market and, and being kind of their trader on the ground in Tokyo. And right. so I found that, you know, despite not having a big math background or a, a strong numerical background, I was very good with quick numbers and calculating things and getting people on the phone quickly and executing orders. Right. And that, to, you know, landed me a job at, at Merrill Lynch. And then right. that translated into meeting more people and getting quite good at that job. And then I ended up uh, getting some interviews at Goldman Sachs. I had some friends at Goldman. Right. And I ended up uh, getting a job at Goldman um, on the sales trading desk with the Japanese equities and convertible bonds. Right. And uh, I really, really enjoyed that. Right. And so one of the things as well, I want to have our leaders listen. So Zach is totally interested in this. He's totally committed to this. And he's taking all sorts of really aggressive steps, learning a new language, you know, really in, investing, really networking. Again, networking with not what I can take, but what I can get, what is, sorry, what, what I can give, learning, meeting, enjoying. You notice how everybody's a really good person. I really like them. They're really nice, right? Like that's who you see people to be, right? And then that's who they are, right? It's like, and then not surprisingly, because Zach likes people, they end up liking Zach and Zach's really working hard. So they, there's some opportunities and you start down near the bottom and you work really hard and these opportunities create more opportunities. For sure. And I think one of the other things, Chris, that I would mention just along with kind of learning from student works, this kind of concept of, of sales and persistence is also the ability to learn how to put yourself in uncomfortable situations yeah. and get something out of it. Um, yeah. And what I mean by that is, you know, it's not always comfortable to approach someone you don't know and ask them for something. It makes them feel uncomfortable. It makes you feel uncomfortable. But you know what? There's that ice breaking moment. And then all yeah. of a sudden, you know, you click on something, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, you're, you have something in common or you know someone they know or there's a yeah. mutual friend or whatever. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And, but there's, I, I notice a lot these days, there's, you know, people are, sometimes unwilling to put themselves in uncomfortable situations, which can create incredible opportunities. Um, yes. And without that, the opportunity is lost, I find. You're not, yeah, there's no breakthroughs. There's no Goldman Sachs unless I'm willing to be uncomfortable to ask people to go here. And then, oh, oh, you guys go in there? Oh, I'd love to go there. Okay, great, right? And, and these things that put yourself out there, people could say, no, I could feel rejected. Exactly. That's okay. Yep. I'm sure Zach was rejected a lot. Oh yeah. Right. Cause, <laughs> cause that's what happens in sales. That's what happens in these interactions and that's okay. Right. Don't make it mean anything. Move on, keep moving forward. Right. Yep. So, yeah. And then also just, you know, give our leaders as well. Like when you're in these, these roles, especially the more senior roles, how many hours a week are you putting in? How much time is really being invested, uh, Zach, to get the types of results you're getting in the world? Sure. 
So I guess there's um, maybe a split between sort of general at the office work time, but then there's also time afterwards where you're, yeah. you're doing other things that are, you know, some people would consider work, but I just kind of considered them as a sort of learning. Another thing, you know, that I think is integral and very important is to not only enjoy what you're doing, but I think you need to enjoy learning and continuing to learn. Yeah. Because without curiosity and without being kind of a student of whatever it is you're, you're going after, you're not really growing. Um, and so yeah. I was constantly trying to learn, yes, the language in Japan, but also learning the markets and not just the market I was in, but the other markets because they're all connected. Um, right. So to get back to your question, sort of the working day was pretty long. You know, I was coming into the office at probably seven, seven in the morning, maybe 7.15. And I wasn't leaving most nights till 6.30 or 7. So it was a, you know, 11, 12 hour day. But more than that, you know, you were preparing for things afterwards. I found that at night I would often have to go to dinner with clients. Right. I would have to uh, meet other people on the weekends. I might you know, do a lot of reading to prepare for the next week. Right. Um, I was building spreadsheets for uh, modeling. And, and I, a lot of the work that was day to day would create more work afterwards because there were lots of things to think about, lots of things to plan. And in a place like Goldman in particular, I found it very challenging because <laughs> I kind of feel like I got in the back door there. Right. Where you have to take your game up to the next level because sure. the table stakes when you're there, every you have to assume that everyone is pretty smart. Everyone oh, is working beyond pretty smart. Everyone's working really hard. Everyone is trying to, you know, do really well. And so you you have to kind of force yourself to play at that kind of level. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just found a lot of people weren't willing to do it. Yeah, weren't willing to put in the hours, weren't into it enough that they liked it, and right. so you, what you would find was there there was a lot of um, attrition, where you know it looks great on paper. Hey, I got a job here, I'm making lots of money, but then you get into the nitty gritty of the day to day, and if you don't love it, it's just too hard. Yes, it's yeah. very difficult to continue at that pace yeah. uh, if you don't love it. And, you know, it doesn't maybe sound like to some people working from sort of seven to seven is, is a ton, but it was a trading and sales environment where you couldn't really leave the desk from yeah. nine in the morning till four. I remember yeah. working in New York for Goldman and there were months where I didn't get off the desk for lunch for yeah. weeks at a time. And so you're literally chained to your desk from, you know, nine to four with bathroom breaks. And yeah. a lot of people can't, you know, think about what that's like. It's pretty tough. <laughs> well, I remember we had breakfast, Zach, and you were telling me that, you know, you'd have like three phones going and someone would, would be on this and then you'd be on that. And if you didn't, you know, because you're basically creating a solution for someone to make a trade, you know, and, and somehow you said one of, the, one of your clients called and said, hey, Zach, no, you weren't on it yesterday. No, I'm I'm going away. I'm going to use someone else now. You know, as as, as payback. You know, you yeah. be here, Zach. So it's really, really competitive, and because they're trying to get a result, right? And they're under enormous pressure. I'll tell you a funny story, Chris. I had this one crazy hedge fund client to be un, unnamed. <laughs> and it will will unname absolutely. I yes. mean, 
he, let's just say he worked in, uh, in Connecticut. And uh, <laughs> I remember one day I was, maybe I'd had a rough night or I just, I wasn't on the ball. Right. And I remember him saying to me, Zach, I've got guys lighting their hair on fire for orders. You got to get up. You got to get the game up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that was a really kind of cheesy line, but it yeah. always stuck with me. You know, it's yeah. true. You know, you had to, you had to really, really work hard. You had to be very focused and concentrated for that particular skill set. Yes. I had other friends, you know, in another part of the bank that were doing investment banking. And that was much more analytical, um, project oriented. You were working on two or three projects over three to six months. Yeah. It wasn't as much a, a transactionally driven job, but right. they had long hours too. They were just different. You know, they were getting yeah. into the office at nine. They might go out for a long lunch, but they were working till one or two in the morning. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and that was just a different kind of, of stress and different kind of work. Yeah. And one of the other things for our, you know, again, our, our, our leaders listening is, is that as this is happening, the bank is renewing itself and changing itself. And because what used to win, what no longer wins anymore. And, and again, you've got the smartest people in the world, the game's changing, the game's changing, the game's changing. Cause that's one of the things that continues to happen, right. That makes banking so tough. For sure. And you saw the acceleration of technology in particular, Yes. With respect to what I was doing, you know, in the old days, um, you know, clients would call up and you'd have to be their eyes and ears to see things, to talk to people, to look at the markets. And over time, clients got a lot more ability to automate their processes. The bank got more ability to automate their processes. And so you kind of had to figure out how you were going to evolve into that new sort of technology, uh, new automated world, the whole sort of uh, ability to search something on the internet, you know, price discovery, creating a sort of automated tools, all of this stuff evolved very, very quickly. Yeah. And not to mention, you know, with the automation, there was also more connectivity in the different parts of the bank's business, which allowed, you know, people that never used to talk to each other to start talking to the same clients and, and kind of providing more of a holistic solution. Right. So you spent um you know, I guess a dozen years in Japan, you know, I was there for about 10 years. And, okay. um, at that point, you know, I was an expat and I had a, I had a bunch of friends that were, were living there, but over time as an expat, it's a very transient life. And what I mean right. by that is you make good friends, you're kind of thrown together, you're all experiencing the same thing. And then over time, people start to leave. They're like, right. no, Zach, I got a, family back in England, I really want to go back to England, or I'm right. got a job opportunity in Singapore, or do this or do that. So people started to fall away. And I started to think, you know, I need to move on. I need to do something. I had a great time, but it was kind right. of 1999 and I needed a change. So the bank uh, sent me over to London. Right. I worked in London for about a year. And then um, again, I was put, I'd been put into a job I wasn't really enjoying. And I had a really good friend that was working in New York and he managed a, a very exciting group that was covering hedge funds. And I, I really wanted to work with him. And so I started, uh, again, <laughs> networking and lobbying yeah. that moved over to New York. And that wasn't without its uh, sort of own political risk. You know, I, I had to kind of navigate through some uh, kind of sharp objects and uh, dangerous right. waters. I found myself in New York in kind of early 2000. 
late 2000, early 2000. And then I was, uh, I was in New York uh, for Goldman for about six years, ended up getting uh, recruited uh, by uh, another bank. Right. And worked there for a couple of years before going back to Asia. Okay. So uh, it was quite a, quite a long run. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. And, and so, you know, obviously now you've decided to, or, or you know, 15 years of 14 years ago, you decided to transition out of the world of banking. So what got you thinking that that was the right thing? What got you thinking that, hey, your run had ended in, you know, big banks? So as we got into kind of, you know, 2005, six, things had started to get pretty crazy in terms of the amount of leverage people were taking. The markets were getting really frothy. The banks were changing a lot. There was an incredible amount of pressure to perform and to just keep uh, producing really crazy numbers. And I think that I had gotten to a stage, a stage where I was a very good salesman. I was managing a a pretty strong sales team. We'd taken numbers up. I think we started our business in 2001 and we were doing a couple million dollars in revenues. And when I left Goldman in 2006, that group was doing 80 million in revenues. Wow. And, you know, I felt like, A, you weren't getting maybe the credit you deserved right. or the revenues you were creating. And, and B, I just felt like the pressure was mounting to keep producing the numbers, you know, no matter what. And you found that you were making poor decisions based on, you know, economic things versus sort of uh, more kind of moral grounds. And and you you found you maybe didn't want to do that because it maybe wasn't the right thing to do. And there was a lot of conflict you had. And you saw this in the aftermath of the financial crisis where, you know, the investment banks had dual roles. Right. You were acting as agent for your client, but you were also having to protect the interest of the bank. And sometimes those interests collided. And right. I felt like there, there wasn't a great alignment of interest. The banking world was getting a lot more political. I was getting promoted, but I sort of hit a ceiling where I felt, you know what, from here, it's all kind of political. Right. I didn't want to play in the political sphere. And so I felt, okay, there's not really a lot of upside here and it's probably a time to change. And right. so I, in 2008, things were starting to really blow up. I was in Japan and I, I had a kind of, kind of a, a real light bulb moment. I, I, I think it was, um, it was maybe October, November, 2008, and the markets were blowing up on a daily basis. Yeah. I was coming home totally frazzled. My wife was coming home totally frazzled because she was working in the markets as well. And right. I had my cousin who was visiting me from uh, Seattle and she was really mellow. She was an architect. She was doing a walking trip of Japan. <laughs> and I would come home at seven at night and I'd turn on CNN and I'd be watching the New York market open. And she was just looking at me and my wife and saying, what the hell are you doing? Like, what are you guys thinking? And yeah. I just sort of scratched my head and I said, you know what? I can't do this anymore. And right. so I kind of, uh, decided that I would, I would do something similar but different. I helped a friend in New York open up a hedge fund in Singapore. Okay. And, uh, so we moved the family to Singapore. We, um, we kind of got up, uh, moved, uh, we had a baby, Right. moved our entire household over to Singapore. I uh, hired a bunch of people with my friend, and then we started raising capital and building some relationships with the banks and uh, built his hedge fund up. And okay. did that for about three years. It was a lot of fun. But right. again, I found uh, 
again, that I wasn't, I was good at selling and raising the money. I wasn't great at organizing the office and, and, and doing the operational stuff. Right. Yes. And so at that point, I then said, well, okay, I'm, I'm going to pivot again and start yeah. doing some different things. And um, I find that these days I luckily have the choice, um, but yeah. I, I found that I wanted to keep being a student of the markets, but at the same time, I didn't really want to work for other people so much. And yeah. I wanted to work for myself or I wanted to work with other partners. Right. And that, that seems to have worked out pretty well. Right, right. And I can see as well, when there's real alignment, things work in life, right? When we really get alignment, when we really have integrity with our partners, with our customers, here's what we're driving for results. And, you know, again, I, I you know, I've read a whole lot about the 2008 financial crisis and, you know, there are a bunch of situations that just didn't work, right? And the structures weren't working to support everybody's interests, right? So, so then there's breakdowns and then it's like, I'm in a spot I don't want to be in. I'm making choices that, that, that I can't respect myself for or whatever, or I don't know what to do because you know, I'm, just, I'm just in a horrible spot. And the other thing that you realize is when you got a bunch of, I don't know, 25 to 40-year-old uh, men and women in a room who get paid an enormous amount of money, yeah. they start making bad choices when the amounts of money on the line are enormous. And they have to choose between the firm, the client, or some mix of those two. And yeah. it becomes very difficult. And you find that, you know, you're getting yelled at by your clients. <laughs> you're getting yeah. yelled at by the traders. And yeah. it's just, it's, it, there's a lot of friction. And there doesn't necessarily have to be. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, that's, that's interesting. And obviously, we could spend a whole bunch of time talking about that. But I think, you know, one of the things that, that I wanted to learn is just, just in terms of, you know, we've, Obviously, you've had a tremendous career, tremendous success, Zach. But what about failures? What about mistakes and, and those things that you've learned from? How do you how do you sort of look at those things? Yeah, I think uh, you know it comes back to the ability, I think, to get up and, and try again. You know, okay. I remember um, you know at Western, I had approached a friend of mine from school. I was friends with his dad and his dad was a really nice guy and he was a very senior executive at an insurance company in Canada. And his dad and I were chatting and his dad was very helpful. And he got me an interview mm -hmm. with a couple of people and he got me an interview with these guys in London. And I remember, um, you know, I was at my fraternity at Western and I was partying and, you know, not going to class much. And right. I kind of just thought I would sort of slide into this interview process and just get a job like magic. Right. Right. And he'd kind of gone on the line for me to he wrote his friend a letter back then when you wrote letters. Yes. And I went over to London. I did a bunch of interviews with these guys and I was just out of my league. I had no idea what I was talking about. I was just <laughs> completely blown out of the water. And that was a real wake up call to say, you know what? you need to have a minimum here to be able to even be on the same table. You know, right. there have to be some table stakes. And that was a real wake up call to, to kind of figure out what's the minimum you need to, to kind of be in the running here. And it, it really um, trampolined my efforts into learning, you know, more working harder, yeah. doing things, you know, very differently. I remember also I was involved in a, you know, a, fairly big uh, project that took me, you know, around the world. Initially, I had very, you know, 
confident hopes for the project. It looked really interesting. And over time, it turned out that the guy that we backed and we'd, we'd been involved with turned out to be a bad guy. And right. the project, you know, kind of really went sideways, then it went down. And the whole unraveling taught me a lot about, you know, how people operate, but also the amount of due diligence you need to do on these things before going in. And, you know, that was an economic uh, failure, but it was a real learning experience. And mm-hmm. it allowed me to um, learn about what not to do maybe in the future. Yeah, <laughs> uh, for sure. What to do better, but also to pivot away and say, you know what, that didn't work out. I'm going to try something else. And yeah. uh, that might work out as well. But learning, it was so important to kind of learn from the challenges, learn from the failures. What did I do wrong? What could yeah. I have done better? Yeah. What could have been a better outcome and why? And mm. a lot of the time, you know, it's not just more research and more work at the beginning. It's more communication. It's better communication. It's uh, figuring out certain things and then trying to decide what to do with that. Right. Right. Yeah, no. And again, I think a lot of times, you know, you know, Zach, just, you know, candidly, I think you were in my mind, very talented, right? Interpersonally, you know, well-liked, you big personality, big charisma. And so that's something a lot of times we'll have people in our program like that. It's a gift and it's a curse because <laughs> you get away with a lot of stuff, yeah. right? You, yeah. you know, and then, then all of a sudden you go, oh, and I can tell, you know, you've like, okay, I, 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 now it's a gift. Cause I'm not going to let it be a curse for me. Cause I'm going to go do my homework. Right. Cause I've been, yeah. I've been banging my head enough. And there's, there's always like, I've been fooled by some people in the past as well. Unfortunately we're going to be, but I think trust rules the day, you know, as much as possible. We want to find people we can trust because otherwise you can't do partner. You can't do partnerships. You can't do deals. Right. Well, that's right. It's, it's very hard to do business when there isn't a, a trust factor. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Hey leaders, I hope you're enjoying this episode so far. Since we started this podcast, every person you've heard from has been one of the incredible alumni of the Student Works Management Program. In large part, that's how I got to meet these amazing people and participate in their development. Starting now and only for the next few weeks, we'll be on campuses across Ontario, Quebec, and the East Coast interviewing students who think they have what it takes to start their first business and get started down the path of entrepreneurship. If you think you have what it takes or know someone who might be interested, visit leaderspodcast.ca slash apply and start your application process today. Once again, it's leaderspodcast.ca slash apply. Now back to the episode. So what did you need to change about yourself coming from like a university student to a full-time value creator in the real world? Yeah. So I think, uh, you know, coming back to working with you and working with, uh, you know, Paul Pasco and, and Helmut and the others at Student Works, I think you really needed to take um, sort of raw material, put it into sort of an organizational structure and then figure out a game plan or strategy on how to get there. A lot of um, what was taught outside of kind of the sales methods and so on and, and being organized was was really setting goals. You know, yeah. I think um, one of the big things that, that was really important was, was goal setting, was 
sort of saying, okay, well, you know, that goal way up there, that's probably not achievable. Right. That's a long-term goal, maybe. But what's achievable right now? You know, right. can I can I get this qualification in the next six months? Can I, you know, commit to meeting three people this week? You know, right. small measurable goals that would allow you to uh, put them into your strategy and get to an outcome that you want. Right. Um, I think that uh, a lot of kids get to university. They've had sort of ad hoc summer jobs. They haven't had to marshal their resources into managing their own destiny, if you will, you know, your own company where you have to For sure. think about your budget, you have to think about your, your employees, uh, you have to think about uh, your sales. If you made a mess on some project, how are you going to clean it up? Right. Uh, if you did really well, can you ask that person for a testimonial? All these kinds of things you have to get organized. And, you know, in the real world, you learn to organize yourself, build a strategy, create the goals, and then execute. And right. I think that uh, that's a really big part of it is, is that learning to launch, learning to execute with the proper platform, and then being able to navigate, you know, when you hit a roadblock or you have a failure or an obstacle or a challenge. And then when you have a win, you know, celebrate, capitalize on that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's great. And so what key habits would someone want to steal from you? <laughs> well, um, if I think back to kind of where I was and, and what I learned and what kind of innate talents you, you may not may have or may not have, you know, I'm still, even though I'm more organized than I was, <laughs> yeah. I can still be pretty disorganized compared to my wife who's really organized. Yeah. But I think, you know, really uh, key traits and key skills that I, I think I have that are important that have really helped me have been things like, curiosity, you know, okay. being a sort of a lifelong learner, being curious about things, allowing that curiosity to lead you sometimes down really cool rabbit holes, which right. can lead to other things. Being really persistent. Curiosity and persistence combined can lead to some really magical things. Mm -hmm. And an example of that is when you're, you know, looking to network or you're looking for some uh, interviews or looking to meet new people or, or get ahead with, with something, you will find that if you're curious and if you're persistent, you can ask people questions and continue on a certain path. But sometimes people will tell you, well, Chris, you know, I'm not interested in that. And I don't think I can help you, but my friend is. And let me introduce right. you to my friend. And right. so one sort of obstacle or failure will lead to something that might be an opportunity. So I, I think this, this, this idea of curiosity and persistence may be combined with focus. Right. If you're persistent and you're curious, focus will come. But focusing on one thing to the exclusion of everything else for concentrated periods, I think is very powerful. A yeah. lot of kids I meet these days are, are a little scatterbrained where they're, yeah. they're trying to do a lot of things at the same time. And I find that it's harder for me now to sit and spend hours concentrating on one thing because there's so many distractions. You've got yes. a phone, you've got, you know, pings from your computer, yeah. got, you know, your busy schedule, everything else. Life is getting very rushed. And yeah. it does, it is advantageous to sit down and, and carve out time for yourself, whether it's to, to meditate or to work out 
or to do certain things that are going to allow you to focus and be more productive. That's great. And one thing actually I wanted to ask a follow-up question is because one thing I think you're really, really good at is building relationships and keeping long-standing relationships. Because I know you've got a whole group of long-standing relationships from our alumni group. You know, it's like, oh, you're, you know, this person and this person. And, you know, so how do you look at relationships and and how would you suggest some of our young leaders look at relationships to make them powerful like they have been in your life? Sure. So I think uh, one thing that, that um, you know, has come home again and again and again is, is this concept of giving your time, giving help to people um, right. without necessarily expecting something. That you're always thinking, well, you know, if I help Chris, maybe he'll owe me one. But right. if you also think, you know, helping Chris is the right thing to do or helping this other guy is the right thing to do. And how can I help them? Right. I find that if you're willing to look at, I have, I have people sometimes calling me or sending me an email because they know I'm interested in something or some right. area of business. And they'll say, well, what do you think about this? Right. And you know, a lot of people aren't willing to take the time to look at a presentation or have a phone call or, you know, do something to help someone um, navigate a difficult thing or, give a different perspective. But right. I think one very important part of building and keeping relationships is thinking about how you can help people in business life, but also life life yeah. and, and sharing experiences. You know, yeah. one thing um, I've found that was really quite interesting is along the lines of this sort of, you know, constantly learning is getting back into things that you used to do in the past mm-hmm. and and, and you get back into it again. And, and, and sometimes that can open up a whole new network. It's quite exciting. You know, I, I used to ski a lot. And right. uh, as a teenager, I did a little bit of racing. And okay. I, I was okay. I was reasonably good. And then I just got out of it for a long time. And yeah. then, you know, at age 45, I got back into ski racing. <laughs> it was fantastic. Yeah. yeah. And I met this whole group of nutty older women and guys that were really into it, very yeah. competitive. And uh, it got me into this sort of asking questions, getting advice and, yeah. and helping other people that were getting into it. And, and it was just kind of a, a, a centrifugal force of, of uh, you know, kind of momentum. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, more recently, um, I've had some friends from high school that knew I was interested in, uh, in some industries. and introduced kids from my high school to me to, to talk about, you know, certain things and uh, provide them with some advice and maybe look at some presentations and help them with business plans. And uh, again, no agenda, just, you know, let's help yep. out. And then, you know, one day I might ask them to help me, but that kind of, you know, give and take, but also giving a lot so that yes. it'll come back, I think, in spades. Yeah. Oh, I think karma is great. And I think, again, the, the more you give, the more you get, the world's a circle. It just, it, that's my experience um, as well, you know, Zach. And, and, you know, it's nice to be a contribution. That's, that's actually one of the things that really makes life worthwhile is really being a contribution, right? Like growth is a big value, right? Like in a growth and learning, not just money, but growth and then contributing. You just feel good. Oh, oh wow. That was really great. For sure. And I think the other thing, Chris, too, with the concept of, of the, of the keeping the relationships up, I, I find that it's important to not spread yourself too thin by that. I yeah. mean, 
certainly meet new people and build relationships, but recognize too, that you can't keep in touch with everybody. For sure. And I find that it's also a two-way street. Yeah. It's good to keep in touch with people, but they got to come back to you. And I find that I'm more and more in touch and keeping in touch with people that send me interesting stuff. And then I send them stuff. hundred percent. We're we're in a, we're in a good reciprocity. Yeah. Reciprocity. Reciprocity. Yeah, for sure. No, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's where there's a lot of juice that's yes. that's really going to make things work. And they yeah. will also really understand, you know, oh, this is what Zach's up to. Okay, great. So yeah, no, I, I hear you. Digging deep in your relationships is really valuable. So one final question. When you think of a leader of tomorrow, what comes to mind? Yeah, I think the leader of tomorrow, you know, is, is much like <laughs> the leader of today, really. You know, this, <laughs> the same kinds of, of attributes, I think, you know, have to be present. You know, a lot of the good bosses that I've worked for, yourself included, have been um, good coaches. Right. You know, people that have empathy, uh, that have the ability to listen, but also people that have the ability to have hard conversations and say, look, yeah. you know, this isn't working out and maybe we should do this. Yeah. Encouraging you to build to your strengths, recognize yeah. where your weaknesses are, encouraging you to um, be curious, be persistent. Leaders, I think, have to empower people. And the way they're, you know, empowering people is giving the people the tools they're going to need to be successful. Whether that is, you know, putting them with the right team because the team is going to be more powerful than the individual, giving them the right educational tools, providing them with the right opportunity, putting them into the right um, role. I find that, um, you know, often people are promoted because they're good at what they do, where you'll have a fantastic salesman promoted to be a manager, but he's not a good manager. He's a good salesman. That person should not necessarily be a a leader or a great leader because he might not be. He's a great salesperson or he's a great operational person or he's a great finance guy. The great leaders, I think, lead people to bring out their best, you know? They, They teach him. They ask questions, they push them hard, they help them set goals, and, and really they're, they're effective coaches and motivators. Yeah. I also love also you, you, a big distinction and also something that you did in your career and you've done in your career is you know where Zach's great, you know where Zach's having fun, you know where Zach's you know best. And so at the hedge fund, it's like, oh, I've done my thing here. And A, I love my partner and that was a great experience. And now I'm going to go do something else because otherwise I would have done something that I'm just not as good at. And it'd be a struggle for me to be in that spot, right? Like that just doesn't work. Yeah, you you often will find yourself cast in a role that is not you or that you're not going to flourish at. And I think um, it's incumbent upon people to recognize that, you know, A, this is not what I'm interested in or B, I'm not that good at it. Yeah. And you can always become fairly competent at something, but if you don't love it, you're not going to be, I don't think you're going to be great at it. No. Even though it's a bigger title, right? Cause it's like, oh wow, that's the title. Like you think, right? Oh, like sure. when you're 20, yep. oh, I want that title. But all yep. of a sudden you go get that title and it's like, man, I don't want that job. Right. Yeah, and, and I think that's why it's so important. I, you know, one piece of advice for your young guys that are, are up and coming uh, women and, and, and men is, you know, it's very important when you're young to try lots of different things yeah. to see what you like. 
because you may see your buddy doing that and you think, wow, I really want to do that. That looks great. Yeah. But you get into that seat and you hate it or exactly. <laughs> you, you, it's totally different than what you thought. Yeah. Um, and when you're young, you have very little in terms of, you know, permanent fixtures and responsibilities. You may not be married. Yeah. You may be um, mobile. And you may not have a lot of commitments, in which case you have the flexibility to try a lot of things, you yeah. know, maybe be successful, maybe fail, but you can get up real quick. It's yeah. a lot harder it, to do when you're 50. hundred percent. And for our leaders, you know, Zach went all the way to Tokyo, right? Traveled all around the world to find amazing opportunity, right? That was not present in Canada. So it shows, again, yeah. how committed you are to your success. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not saying that you have to do that, but you have to do that. No, I do. Um, of my peer group at uh, student works, I would say a lot of them did similar things. My, my friend, uh, Dave went to New York. My other friend, Joe yeah. went to New York. Yeah. Garth went to, uh, London. There were a yeah. bunch of guys that went to sort of different places in um, you know North America or Europe or or elsewhere, because they saw more opportunity or they saw a different opportunity or the opportunity yeah. wasn't present in, in Canada. Yeah, exactly. Well, Zach, I I am so appreciative of uh, your um, living your relationship credo and making a real difference in in our community here. So um, again, very very grateful. And I know we talked. It was like, gosh, Zach, it was like. I didn't know where you were. I didn't hear where you goes. Well, literally, Chris, because I wasn't here for decades, right? <laughs> so it's really great to get reconnected. We'll have to do lunch again this summer or whatever that looks like uh, post-pandemic. Um, <laughs> yes. That sounds <laughs> so, great, Chris. Okay, fantastic. Thanks so much, Zach. Anytime. Appreciate it. Cheers. Bye-bye. Hey, leaders. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Bye now you are aware that we work with ambitious students every single year to not only help them run their first successful business, but to further their development as a leader and give them an unfair advantage in the future over their counterparts. It's why starting now and only for the next few weeks, we'll be on campuses across Ontario, Quebec, and the East Coast interviewing students who think they have what it takes to start their first business and get started down the path of entrepreneurship. If you think you have what it takes or know someone who might be interested, visit leaderspodcast.ca slash apply and start your application process today. Once again, it's leaderspodcast.ca slash apply. And I can't wait to see you on the other side.